0: Thank you for joining us for the Westport Road Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're located in Louisville, Kentucky, and we encourage you to visit our website at mywrbc.org, along with following us on Facebook. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as Pastor Chip Pendleton brings us the Word of God. Well, I don't know how many of y'all realized it, but every Sunday morning we have three to 400 people that watch our services live online. And so I just wanted to say hi to all of them out there this morning. And, um, we've only got one camera this morning because we are, uh, taping one of our seminary students who is preaching in his Sunday school class for, uh, some of his field work. And so, uh, uh, the camera is being run, though, by Grant Hoffman, who is 16 years old today. Uh, so happy birthday, Grant. And if it's not a good camera shot, now you know who to blame is, as, as well. But happy birthday anyway, uh, as you do that. Anybody here watch the show This Is Us? How many people cry when you watch it? Okay, about the, about the same number of people. Well, the star of that show, one of the stars of that show is Mandy Moore. Uh, you know, she's a singer, and actress, been in things like Princess Diaries and A Walk to Remember, Dr. Dolittle*. Well, for her 34th birthday, Mandy Moore decided she was going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, I was going to do that on my 34th birthday, but you know, visa problems and things just didn't get to do it, you know, and all of that. But uh, she decided she's going to climb to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, 19,340 feet in elevation, uh, for her 34th birthday. Had three of her friends decided to go with her. So what do you do when you climb to the top of the mountain and you're there and you're finally looking around? You've accomplished your goal. What are some of the things you get to do when you get to the top? Well, one of the things you do is that you look around and you take in the view. And that's what Mandy Moore did. She looked around, took in the views. You get excited. You see her. She's all excited. Uh, She's made it to the top. Uh, The next picture here, you're just in awe of everything going on. So you take some pictures. Uh, You want people to know you've made it and all of that. And then when you're through, what do you do? You go back down. That's exactly what you do. You're not quite as happy going back down uh, as you were coming back up. Now, I'm showing you all that this morning because we started a sermon series called Resurrection Living. And last week we were in Acts chapter 1, and what we saw was this, uh, is that Jesus told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. And so we talked about what's a waiting period like When you're looking and expecting God to do something, what do you do in that waiting period? Well, this morning we're going to talk about the mountaintop experience. What do you do when you've made it to the mountaintop? And what you do is basically what we saw Mandy Moore doing. You you take in the view uh, that's there. You get all excited and you celebrate. Uh, You you try to remember and hold on uh, to what you have achieved. But we're never supposed to live constantly on the mountaintop. Mountaintop experiences are to refresh us, re-energize us, point us forward, but you don't live on the mountaintop. Eventually you come back down uh, from it, but mountaintop experiences are very important for us and for our faith. Take your Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to continue our look at resurrection living Now, where we left off last week, I've already told you, Jesus has told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait until this promised spirit comes upon you. And so they are in a period of active waiting at this time. And the first thing we see is this, we need to be prepared and watching for God to work. We need to be prepared and watching for God to work. Look at chapter two, verse one. Now, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, the day of Pentecost was one of the holiest of Jewish festivals. It was often called the Festivals of Weeks. It was basically 50 days after Passover, and it was the time that the first wheat harvest came in. And so it was a time of of great celebration, a time of the harvest uh, that was there. And so whenever you had a major Jewish festival like this, pilgrims would come in from around the world to celebrate. And so that was the case now. You had the whole city of Jerusalem filled with all the pilgrims uh, that have come in to celebrate uh, the the Pentecost celebration. And then that's when something interesting happens in verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they're in the house, uh, they're all together, and suddenly we're told a violent rushing wind comes. Now, we're going to be pointed out a little bit later, the people in the town think like a tornado has hit. Uh, something has happened, and so they're running to see what's going on. There's been some sort of a, a major cataclysmic event from this rushing wind. So the disciples, they hear this violent rushing wind, and then this, this ball of fire comes over them. Now, who would have been freaked out at this point? You know, uh, you know, you're thinking, that must have been some bad sushi I had earlier or something, you know, or something like that. And then the, the fire begins to, s- to separate into tongues and go over each person, uh, tongues of fire, and they begin to speak in different languages. Down to verse 5. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is all the pilgrims who have come in. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, and each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene. And that was pretty good just to read all those names uh, that way. And I've told you before, how do you pronounce Bible names? Confidently, that's how you pronounce it. Not accurately, you pronounce them confidently. Uh, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So all the people show up. They hear this, this tornado-like thing that's come in. They're trying to see what happened. When they get there, they see the disciples who've come out of the house they were in. And they're all speaking in different languages. And these people are saying, how are they doing that? Everybody here is from different countries. And yet we're hearing the word of God proclaimed in our own language. Verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed. And they asked one another, what does this mean? Some people, ever made fun of them and said, ah, they're just drunk. They've had too much wine. Now, if you're one of the disciples, it doesn't take a lot to figure this probably isn't a normal everyday event that's going on here. Maybe this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, wait for the spirit and it's going to show up. So as we begin, the first thing that we see is we need to be looking and watching and expecting God to work Every single day of our lives. How would your life be different if every morning when you got up and went to work or every morning when you got up and went to school, you were expecting God to work and do something at your school, at your workplace, wherever you happen to be that day? You would look at that day in an entirely different way if you were expecting God to work and do something every single day of your life. The disciples are going to be able to respond here because they're expecting God to work and they're looking for it. This is active waiting that they're involved in. It would be no different than uh, if you were going on vacation with someone and they told you, Hey, I'll pick you up for the airport at your house at 8 o'clock. So at 8 o'clock in the morning, you know they're coming by. So what do you do beforehand? You pack your bags. uh, You make sure your ticket's ready. You get your passport. If you're going somewhere like Indianapolis or somewhere and you're leaving, you have to get your passport or something, you know, and you you get all that together and then you look for it. You're sitting there. It's 20 till 8, but you're looking down the road. When are they going to be here? I'm ready to go on vacation. Well, that's exactly what a life with God is supposed to be like. You were supposed to be prepared, your bags packed. In other words, you're doing the things you were supposed to. You're getting closer to God, reading your Bible, caring for others. You're doing what you're supposed to, but then you're looking for God to do something for you to be a part of that day. And that's what leads to mountaintop experiences. There's a, a young lady who's an American Airlines flight attendant by the name of Taylor Tippert. And she started doing something by, by taking little post-it notes and putting them in the windows of the airplane with positive notes on them. Just trying to make her passengers feel better because everybody's so stressed when they get on an airplane. And, and she can't say anything religious because of American Airlines rules. But she just puts things like, uh, your smile may make another person smile. Or uh, you have the power to help someone else today. And she puts all these notes on there. And she said, just doing something like that has caused her to have great ministry opportunities on her airplane. And she says, every time she gets on the plane, she says this prayer. God, you're going to bring someone on this plane either to teach me something or that I can help today. Give me eyes to see them then how do you think she feels every time somebody steps on the plane? Is this a person that's going to teach me and help me do something today? Is this somebody that I can help and be with? And she says over the last few years, she has prayed uh, uh, with people who were going to the hospital because of a t- cancer diagnosis and are flying to another place. She she's sat there and held the hands and cried with people who were going to the funerals of loved ones. She's rejoiced with couples that have just gotten engaged and were celebrating. She said she's had every experience of the world. And she said she's just excited when she gets on the plane. God's going to do something today in my life through one of these people that come on the plane? How would that be if that's how you looked at your life every day? Today, God's going to do something in my life. So that's the first thing we see in our scripture passage. We need to be prepared and we need to be watching for God to work. And that brings us to the second thing that we see. When we see God working, we need to join him. When we see God working, we need to join him. Now, Sometimes in scripture, the disciples aren't the brightest people in the world. They're kind of slow in getting things. They get this one though. Okay, Uh, big rushing wind, ball of fire, speaking in other tongues, people running up and saying, what's going on? We're amazed and perplexed. And then some people going, ah, they're just drunk. Well, they begin to figure out, well, something's going on here out of the norm. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and address the crowd. So Peter is expecting God to do something. He's looking for it. He says, "Uh, maybe this is God doing something. And so he steps out and with a loud voice, he addresses the crowd. And the first thing he says is hilarious. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk like you might think. It's just nine in the morning. They're not drunk yet. It's just, nine. give us a few hours. You know, we'll get there, you know, or something like that. You know, basically what he's saying to them is, hey, look, I know you're mocking and saying these people are just talking out of their minds or something. That's not what's going on. And then look at what he says, verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes uh, the book of Joel here. Joel chapter two, verses 28 through 32. And he says, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men, your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in all days. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven and signs on the earth below. And so he does this great prophecy from the book of Joel. Now, was Peter just a, a, a you know, Bible savant that immediately pulled this scripture out? I don't think so. I think that what he was doing in that waiting period was he was studying scripture. And what had Jesus told them? Wait in Jerusalem until the power of the spirit comes upon you. So I think Peter was looking at every scripture he could find on the power of the spirit. And so when he saw this taking place, he said, man, this is what I've been reading about. This is the prophet Joel. And so he jumps up and he begins to, to tell them, this is what that scripture is. And then in verse 22, he goes right to the heart of the matter. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you with miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate design, plan, and foreknowledge. And you, with the, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. You nailed him to the cross." But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he gets to the main point in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So what has Peter done here? He saw the opportunity. He saw God doing something, and then he jumped on board with him. He said, okay, I think God's here. I think God's doing something. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And so he took off and joined God in what he was doing. What's the part of expecting and looking? What's expecting and looking all about? You think God's going to do something. So when he does something, you jump in there and you're a part of it with him. That's exactly what Peter does here. He becomes a part of what God is doing. He joins God in God already working. And that's exactly what we need to do. When you see God doing something in your life, around you, uh, then you need to join God in what He's doing. There's a lady in Utah that's been a bus driver for 10 years. Her name is Tracy Dean. And uh, a few weeks ago, Tracy said she made her normal stop. A little girl named Isabella got on the, the, uh, the, the bus. Isabella was a fifth grade student, and she noticed she was crying. She said, Isabella, what's the matter? And she said, well, my mom died two years ago of cancer and I wanted my hair braided today. And my dad just couldn't braid my hair, couldn't get it right. And now my hair is all messed up as I'm going to school. And so Tracy said, okay, well, when we get to school, what if you stay on the bus and I braid your hair? And she said, that would be great. And so they get there, she braids uh, Isabella's hair Isabella starts crying again and hugs her and says, thank you so much. And then she gets off the bus and goes in. Now Tracy starts thinking and guess what she starts thinking? Is God doing something here? Maybe something unusual is happening. Maybe this is an opportunity from God. And so the next day Isabella got on the bus and Tracy said to her, wait a second, Isabella. And she said, I brought all of my hair stuff today. And I brought my bag chair. And when we get to school, I'll fix your hair any way you want me to. And for the last month, every day when they get to school, they've stopped when they get there. And Tracy does Isabella's hair. Got a picture of her uh, fixing Isabella's hair in the school parking lot right there. Now, what had happened then? It might not seem like a major event to you. But this was God working, God providing an opportunity. But Tracy Dean had to be willing to say, I'm going to join God. God was doing something today. He gave me an opportunity and I'm going to follow through with that opportunity. Every day, you're going to have opportunities for God to grow you, to help you learn, or for you to help and make a difference in somebody else's life. But you will miss them over and over again if you're not expecting it to happen and looking for it to happen and then jump in there and do it when it does happen. And it will happen every day at work and school and all around you. And that brings us to the third thing that we see. When we join God in what he's doing, we'll be a part of amazing things happening. When we join God in what he is doing, then you get the privilege of being a part of some amazing things that God is going to do. Look down to verse 37. Peter basically has an altar call. He has an invitation uh, at the end of his talk. He says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. So here's Peter. He takes advantage. He says, okay, what were you supposed to do? Repent, be baptized, accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's still exactly what we need to be doing here today. If you have not done that and you're in this room this morning, then you need to hear the words of Peter exactly as he said it. It's time for you to come to the Lord. It's time for you to repent. It's time for you to ask for forgiveness of your sins and find them and then follow the Lord in baptism. So Peter has joined God in what he's doing. And look at verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. 3,000 people. Do you know up to this point, there were a couple of hundred Christians in the world. And in one morning, 3,000 are added. Who thinks that was a pretty good morning of preaching? Now I know what you are thinking. Chip, you've been here almost 15 years. I haven't seen 3,000 people. How many sermons has that been? Well, quite a few, quite quite a few. (laughs) So here is Peter. He's joined God in what he was doing. He was expecting God to work. He jumped in there when God was working. And then he has that mountaintop experience. And in that mountaintop experience, the church grows exponentially. And it goes from 500 to 3,500 in one single morning. And you got to believe for Peter, this is the mountaintop. He's on the top. When you get those mountaintop experiences with God, you'll never forget them. And they may come for a lot of different reasons. It may be a worship service where you just feel feel especially close to God and you really feel his spirit. And you're going to remember that your whole life. Man, I'll never forget how I felt in that worship service uh, when I was connecting with God that day. It might be a time you were involved in some ministry and doing something where you saw God do unbelievable things and and people were, were helped and cared for. It might be a time that you had an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus and they gave their life to him as Lord and Savior. And you'll never forget how that felt and what happened in those times. Mountaintop experiences like the one that Peter's just had here. God will give you those times, but it's not where we live. They were supposed to encourage you, enliven you, strengthen you, because there comes a time you got to give off the mountaintop and go back down. But they are there to encourage and point us forward and show us God is working. And so for Peter, this is one of those mountaintop experiences. And when you have them, the neat thing is you never forget it because you're a part of something really amazing that's happened. There's a, an Iranian-American by the name of Hormuz Sharit. And probably most of you have never heard of Hormuz Shahrit. But when he was 22 years old, he came to the United States 35 years ago so that he could study computer engineering uh, at the University of Southern California. The first year he was here, first semester, of the Iranian Revolution took place. The Shah was deposed. His brother, who was 16, was arrested because he was in the United States, and they considered them westernized. And he called his mom and his mom said, don't worry about it. He's a 16-year-old high school boy. He's never even been involved in a protest. A week later, they took Hormuz's brother out and they shot him in the head and killed him as a Western sympathizer. Hormuz had just become a Christian in the United States at that point. And he said he was angry. He hated the, the, the Iranians. He wanted to, to, to do everything he could to overthrow the government. And then he began to read in the scripture, things like love your enemies, forgive those who abuse you. And he said, it was the hardest thing he ever did in his life, but he slowly began to pray, Lord, forgive them. Lord, help them. Lord, be a witness to the people there. He graduated with a PhD from USC, got a job teaching, uh, was had an excellent career. And he would talk to Iranian refugees when they had come into the United States. And they would tell him, Christianity is exploding in Iran. And he said, you, you've got to be kidding. There, there, were, there aren't any Christians in Iran. When he left, there was estimated 5,000 Christians in Iran. And they said, people are having dreams. Out in the middle of nowhere, dreams about Jesus. And that might seem crazy to you, but let me tell you. Alan Funk, one of our, our missionaries who is in Africa, we've got two missionaries who are in Indonesia, they come and they tell you, "We've seen entire villages that have been converted because of dreams." And so they said, "These people are hearing, are having dreams." And, uh, and so he began to, to work with Iranian refugees, he began to provide Bibles, and then they begin to tell him, "Man, you will not believe the house church movement that's going on in Iran right now. It's just exploding." And so 15 years ago, he started something called Iran Live Ministries. And he began to beam in Iran a little Bible study that he would do each day. He's not a preacher, not a missionary. He would just sit down, do a little Bible study, go through the plan of salvation. Now, Iran only has six official channels. So they call their channel Channel 7. And they beam it in. 60% of Iran has satellite television. And, uh, and so they, they were getting this channel, even though the government didn't want them to get it. What has happened has been absolutely amazing. Today in Iran, Hormuz Sharit, and I got a picture of him uh, right here, is the third most recognizable person in all of Iran. When you ask Iranians who people are around the world, He is the third most recognized face in the entire world to people in Iran after their Ayatollah and their president. And it is estimated today that the Christians in Iran in the last decade have gone from 5,000 to millions. And, and And because of one television show that's going on with a guy that's not even a pastor. That was someone who saw God working was willing to be a part of it and is now seeing amazing things that are happening. that brings us to the last thing that we see. And that's this. We need to understand, learn from, and appreciate what God has done on the mountaintop. The mountaintop is not where you live. You learn from it, you appreciate it, you, you understand what's happening, and then it helps you for the rest of your life. So after this experience, the mountaintop is now over. What do you do? Well, it's, it might be interesting to you. In the book of Acts, there are several what I would call mountaintop experiences that happen. And after each mountaintop experience, you then have a summary passage of what takes place afterwards. And so it's like, okay, you had this mountaintop, 3,000 people were saved. Now, this is the summary of what happened after the mountaintop experience. What happened after they came down and they're back to their daily living. Verses 42 through 47 are what happened after the mountaintop experience. Let's walk through it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay, those may sound like normal, everyday, mundane things if you're a Christian. So they're going to church, they're praying, uh, you know, they're, they're going to Bible studies, they're listening to teachings, all of this kind of stuff. Normal, everyday activities. How was that a big change from what happened before? Basically, what happened on the mountaintop was this. Their normal, everyday times with God have now been re-energized. Reading the Bible now has a new meaning after this time. They're looking at it in an entirely different way than they did before. Coming together an entirely different thing than it was before. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and wonder at the many signs performed by the apostles. Not only was the church changed, verse 43, people in the community begin to talk and take notice. When God is working, it's just not the church people that notice it. Everybody in the community notices something different going on here. Verse 44, all the believers were together and held everything in common. It led to unity in the church. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions and gave to everyone who had need. The people began to sacrifice and and give at 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 a much higher, more personal level. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church was revitalized. It was re-energized. Everything is different now because of the mountaintop experience that they had had that day. You're going to have some mountaintop experiences in your life. Worship services, times of ministry, times when you'll be a part of people's lives being changed. And when they happen, you need to know God has given you an opportunity to be a part of what he is doing and to learn from it, to grow through it, and then to use it when you come down off the mountaintop. Often what happens in the mountaintop is this. We get on the mountaintop, we get all excited, and then you get back down to the real world and your bubbles popped. I have a good friend uh, who went to uh, uh, Africa on a mission trip And there were literally hundreds of people that were saved at the crusades that he was a part of. He came back to Owensboro where he was pastoring. And he he said, he was so fired up, man, I'm ready. Our church is going to take over this whole community. And the first day in the office, people began to walk in and say things like, The air conditioner's not working. It's too hot. You better do that or I'm going to go to another church. And other people came in and said things like, man, so-and-so took my pew last week. They they were visitors and they sat in my chair. People ought to know better than that. There's not enough parking in the parking lot. And he said he was the most discouraged pastor in the history of the world. He just felt like the bubble had popped. So when you come down from the mountaintop you've got to realize that mountaintop isn't where you live. It's to encourage and to push you forward where you're living in everyday life. Several years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to go to Flamingo Road Baptist Church in Fort Lauderdale for a conference. The church had grown from 200 to 5,000 in about a three-year period. Unbelievable growth that took place there. And during the conference, the pastor uh, said, we've had a lot of changes in our church. You know, we've gone from traditional music to contemporary music to changing all of our systems and things that we were doing. And he said, but I want to bring a guy up here that's, that's uh, one of our helpers today. And he said, come on up. And so the senior adult man walked up and he said, uh, he said, why are you here? And the guy goes, what? And he takes out, takes out these, these uh, earpieces and he goes, what? And he said, why are you here? And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm here because of the conference. And he says, well, what do you think of the music we're playing now? And he goes, oh man, I hate it. It, it, This is the worst music I've ever heard in my life. It's loud. It's obnoxious. He said, it's not worshipful at all. I put these earplugs in so I don't have to hear any of it. And he said, well, then why are you still here? And the man began to cry. And he said, because I saw a dying church of 200 people grow to 5,000 in three years. I saw people who no one in this community could ever reach, have their whole life change and come to Jesus Christ. I've seen broken marriages mended. I've seen people who were hungry get food. I've seen a church go out and revolutionize every inch of this area of Fort Lauderdale. And if I didn't want to be a part of that, I would be insane. You see, my friends, there's a man who said, I wanna be a part of what God is doing. Maybe when you come down out of the mountaintop, the music isn't quite the way you want it or things aren't always the way you would like to see it. But being a part of what God is doing is something that you will never forget. Every day of your life, God is going to give you opportunities to either learn and grow, or help someone else if you will only be watching. And after you've done that a few times, man, you'll be, you those antenna will be up and you'll be looking for what can happen and what can take place. And it will revolutionize your life. You're no longer getting up in the morning and your Christian life being, God help me not do any bad things today or be tempted and not be a bad boy or girl. You're getting up and saying, Lord, This is a life of adventure. You're going to bring someone into my life today that I can do something to make their life better or will teach me something that will make my life better. Help me be a part of that today. You'll never look at the world again when you do that. It's a mountaintop that will keep you going when you come back down. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for the tremendous love you have for us. Help us, Lord, to realize that that you have things in store for our life that we couldn't imagine. That every day you're trying to provide us divine encounters and opportunities that will make a difference in how we live and who we are and what we do. Help us to be open and looking for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to this time of invitation. And the first thing I would say in the invitation is, just pray, Lord, help me to have eyes that are seeing this week. Help me look at the world in a different way. When I go to work, when I go to school, help me see who are people I can help? How can I be involved? What can I do? What's God teaching me in this event? And as you do that, everything changes. Just, you can just do that while we're saying, Lord, help me have open eyes this week to what you're doing around me and help me join you. During this time, we've talked about life's not lived on the mountaintop, which generally did down in the valley. And we all have problems and hurts and you can just come and give them to God, pray at this altar, pray with ministers that could be down front. You can come say, I want to join this church and be a part of what this church is doing. But the most important thing you could ever do is exactly what Peter told the people 2,000 years ago. Man, give your life to Jesus. Find forgiveness of your sins. Follow him. See the new life he has for you. This is your time and your opportunity though. So we stand together and we sing. Thank you. the room for just a second. What would happen if every person in this room went out tomorrow and thought, God's going to do something and I want to be a part of it. There's going to be somebody I can help. Look around this room. What if every person in this room intentionally looked for something and someone they could help tomorrow? What a difference that would make in our community and in our world. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you have prayer needs or want more information about Westport Road Baptist Church, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org. Please join us for Sunday morning services at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. Finally, if you can't join us in person, both services are available through the video stream online, both on our website and on Facebook. View the service live or later on, and the entire worship service is available. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another
1: message from God's Word.